You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits together around us here today. And I call out first to our ancestors. I call out to all of those who have gone before us, those who lived well and died well, those who bring the legacy to each of us of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. I call out to these ancestors to hear us today as we, the living, endeavor to recreate what has been lost and broken, that we might be in better relationship with you, the ancestors, that we might hear better those whispers that would guide us to not make the same mistakes that you made, but to learn from them and to go forward in a way that brings healing and creativity and innovation to life, that we might leave something different for those who are coming. So we call out to you, ancestors, to gather around us, not only us here today in this moment, but all who will listen to this conversation. We call out to all of those ancestors to stand with us, that we might do today what must be done in a good way. We call out to that most ancient ancestor, the earth, and we thank her for the exquisite beauty of her dreaming, that dream that brought life to this planet. And we give thanks to her rich, deep, dark beauty. We give thanks to her for life, for this opportunity in each day to be part of that life. We give great gratitude for the connection and interconnection that is the true nature of our existence. So may we call out to this energy of the earth and from the earth draw a sense of grounding, a sense of belonging, a sense of connection and interconnection and oneness. And we give thanks to the earth for home and place and take a stand there. And let us reach up from the earth to the sky and call down the energies of the sky, reaching all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that power, call it down into yourself, into our circle, into this conversation today that we might be inspired by the energies from above, that we might bring protection, that we could be vulnerable enough to hear what we have not yet heard and to speak what has not yet been spoken. We call out for that protection. We call out for blessing. We call out for the generosity and benevolence of the universe in which we all share to join us here within us and around us and to hold us well. So may the energies of the sky and the earth come together within us in that big love of the way of the Tao. May it come together inside of us and bring us into balance that we might have the courage now to call out to the energy of the heart. May the heart join us here today and be the powerful place that it is, this unique crucible that allows the powerful energies of the belly, the passions and those deep, deep emotions that drive us to come up to the heart and draw down the inspiration and illumination and creative genius of the mind into the heart where these energies can mix together into the third awareness of why we are here. What is our gift and how might we bring that to the world today? 
May we go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I'd like to give thanks to all of those people who make this show possible. A special thanks to Terry and the other listeners who have donated to this show. It is our goal this year to become 100% listener-sponsored. And I ask those of you that are moved today in your heart, or in any way, actually, by the proceedings here today, to let that motivation motivate you into action. Do something to support the growth of the show, whether you donate or share the show with someone else, talk about the ideas with someone, share the link, whatever it is that you do, let yourself be moved by your heart into action. And for those of you that do choose to donate to directly support the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and just click on the support button and you are welcome to donate whatever amount suits you and every single dollar goes to keeping the show on the air. And we are deeply grateful for every single penny, euro, or whatever way it comes in. It all helps and we are deeply, deeply grateful. Now, today, we are especially thankful for the presence of our guest, Tom Pinkson. Tom, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That was a lovely prayer. You just covered all the bases. It was beautiful. (laughs) Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Now, Tom is joining us today in particular to talk about Rights of Recognition, a program that he has developed um, that is creating a new vision for aging. And I'm really excited to jump into it, but I have to do my duty here real quick and just let everybody know that you can connect to Tom's website at um, Dr. Tom Pinkson, and it's P-I-N-K, like the color, pink, sun. Okay, so Dr. Dr. Tom Pinkson.com, and if you Google that, you can find him. And all of the amazing things I'm about to read through really quickly, just so that we can get into the true heart of the show. But Tom has been in the work for forever, right, Tom? Like for centuries. Well, it feels like that, yeah. But about a good 40 years or more in this body. Yeah. So anyway, in in the everyday world, in his his straight job, Tom is a psychologist, um, but also because of his... um, you know, decades of working with the Wuchol, Tom has brought, is also a ceremonial retreat leader and a vision fast leader, um, truly a sacred storyteller and a shaman. And he has worked, um, you know, you've really worked with people in sacred passage in life in all different ages. It's um, a really beautiful journey that you've been on. Um, Tom is also the founder of Wakan, W-A-K-A-N, W-A-K-A-N, which is a nonprofit organization committed to restoring the sacred into in daily life. Um, thank goodness. And and he's also the author of The Flowers of Wirakuta, which is a, a republication of a book that came out a while ago, but um it's it, it it's I'm sure it was timely then, but it's exquisitely timely now, I guess. Yes. Excuse me uh, for interrupting, Christina, but the the new um title of the book, which is available now, is The Shamanic Wisdom of the Huicho. Oh, okay. Thank Medicine you. Teachings for, for Modern Times. That's the title of the book. It's uh, with a new introduction and a new preface. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so there's lots of places for you all to interface with the various things that Tom does and different parts of his um life in which he's offered these gifts to us to use in our lives. Today, 
we're going to focus in on um, this recognition rights program, which is um, about creating a ceremonial rite of passage, which honors and celebrates elderhood. Now, there's probably a whole lot of people listening that can't even imagine why we would bother. So let me remind those of you that might have really, really good questions to ask us that we are live right now. And you can call in um, with questions at 512-772-1938 or Skype in. Just click the Skype button on the co-creatornetwork.com site through which you might be listening. Or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So these are all ways that you're welcome to connect in with us today. Um, And until we hear from you, we're going to forge ahead with Tom. So... I was just, before we actually got started, I was talking with Tom about how he and I spend a lot of time thinking about these kinds of things and maybe sometimes even forget that others might not ever even notice. And so we have to remember to give people some context for what we're talking about today so people can really understand the importance. So what I was curious about is to kind of go back to the beginning of the beginning. So what were the kinds of things that you were noticing, I don't know, in your life, in your work, working with indigenous people, whatever it was before that sort of sparked even the idea of the need for the program? Like, what was the beginning of the beginning? Well, I think, uh, ironically, the beginning of, of, of this, beginning we think of life, uh, was, was death, really. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, death, the, the medicine teaching of death, of, of our mortality, came into my life when I was very young, just a few months prior to my uh, fourth birthday. And, of course, I had a devastating uh, impact on, on me as a young child. On a deeper level, what it, what it did, it took me into a, a place of recognition of the impermanence of life, that there was this, this phenomena called death, that could come and at any time it wanted and do whatever it wanted without your okay. So I had an early initiation, you might say, to the Buddhist notion of impermanence. And so it raised a question in me that, of course, as a young child, I wasn't able to articulate the way I am now. It was more just a felt experience um, of, well, given the existence of death, it can come and take people you love. What, uh, what's the purpose of being here? And what's, what basis is there on to, to build a life, if any, given that it can be snuffed out in, in any moment? And um, this was in the uh, late 1940s, and uh, mainstream culture at the time was not uh, addressing issues like that. But in the post-war boom, it was all about material gain and acquisition, which of course has gotten uh, greater with the passing of years. And so that wasn't addressing my, my deeper needs for, for meaning. That, that has to do with soul. And so as I grew older, uh, I began to uh, be um, involved in, in uh, other cultures, non-mainstream uh, cultures, initially when I was 14 through uh, construction work, in which I was the only uh, one of the few Caucasian men in a job growing up in Washington, D.C., and working with... Uh, Afro-American um, man from um, from out in, in, in the country in West Virginia and, and the inner city, working with those men. And so I initially had to go through uh, rites of passage with them, be tested by them, so to speak, before I was accepted into their in, uh, as, as a 
as a, uh, even though I was 14, I was you know, accepted as a man into their culture when I passed the test because I was doing the same, same work as them and, and there was respect there. So that was initial uh, entry into a, a different culture that was dealing more authentically and genuinely with feelings, with life, with death, with sex, with all the things that were real. And for as a young person, I'm concerned with, but my society, my culture, mainstream, was not dealing in a real way with any of this, let alone talking about it. So that kind of set a stage for, uh, there's other cultures here, other ways people are, are meeting their needs and how they they define what's most important in life than mainstream reality that I've grown up in. And uh, as I continued on in my life and went into college and started getting degrees and everything, part of my quest was, at that time, was uh, because I, due to the death of my dad and, and unresolved grief that I wasn't able to, the society didn't know how to deal with a child's grief at the time, um, that grief turned inward, first in the life-threatening illness as a younger child and as a teenager when the hormones of testosterone hit led to acting out my grief and pain as, uh, uh, against society. And I was a juvenile delinquent and in trouble with the law and, and uh, the police and violence and all kinds of things. And grace to have survived all of that, still be alive, not be in jail. And when I came out the other side of that, uh, around 17 or so, barely getting out of high school, I did uh, apply to junior college because I did want to try to figure out why was I behaving that way? Why was I acting in such a self-destructive and antisocial way? So that took me into studying psychology and sociology and with with um, kind of a driving, motivating force of, well, if I if I can get through this trauma time, what I call my shadow possession time in my life from about 13 to 17, during this acting out delinquency, uh, I just I would just like to be able to help young people, uh, and and if nothing else, just listen to them in a way that I feel that the, the supposed helpers, probation officers, teachers, guidance counselors, ostensibly there to help me as a young person, did not listen to me. They all tried to force me into a box of of uh, how to live my life that didn't work for me. So it just caused more alienation. So I would think to myself when I started junior college, I'd just like to be able to get to a place where I can help young people, and if nothing else, just listen to them. Just listen to their thoughts and their feelings and not just try to pressure them into something. So that was a, that was a kind of a guiding light of my early years in school. And when I got out of uh, graduate school, I got uh, my bachelor's, my master's, and my uh, Ph.D. in psychology. I looked at, this was now the mid uh uh, late 60s, early 70s, I guess. And, yeah, 73, 4, when I was finishing my doctoral work, 75. Um, and prior to that, just prior to that, as part of my doctoral work, I helped start a drug treatment program working with uh, heroin addicts, and I started a wilderness project and to work with the heroin addicts. So that took me into into nature. It took me into the natural world. And it took me into uh, eventually exploring cultures that lived uh, in harmony with the natural world, which is indigenous people, indigenous cultures. And so for 40-some-odd years, I've traveled around the world and gone into indigenous cultures to study. I would always go to the elders, because the ones who carried the wisdom and who did the ceremonies, the initiation ceremonies, uh, the shamans, were the elders. And so I would always be hanging out with the elders to study and learn from them about their perspectives on what's real, what uh, what's b- worth basing a life on, how to develop 
a relationship with the creative powers of the universe that we're dependent on our, for, our, for our lives to be able to find our, our, path, our purpose in being here and a relationship to those creative powers so that we could access them to do the best we could in our lives to walk on that, to fulfill that purpose, what you could, might say call it walk on a heart of path to uh, completion, to fulfillment. So all of these dynamics are operative in my life as I'm as I'm aging, as I'm having children, and I'm a family, and and then eventually grandchildren. And within the Indian indigenous cultures, um, I see and going through some of the rites of passage and starting being initiated into vision quest work, which I've been doing for forty years, taking well thirty eight years, taking people up to the to the Sierra once a year for a week of vision questing. And pilgrimages in uh, with with the elders in different parts around the world to the holy places within their 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 cosmos. Uh, I see this this reoccurring dynamic of uh, the role that death plays in the rites of passage and all the rites of passage. That 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 part of the was significant part of the initiatory process is facing your mortality, the inevitability and reality of your mortality that you're not going to be here forever, and the importance of facing that to create a relationship with the truth of your mortality that empowers you in your living instead of constricts you out of fear and shuts you down. Does this the opposite? It juices you to really go into your depths to find out and explore what has most meaning for you. What do you value most? What has importance to you? What speaks to your heart and your soul? What has passion for you? What, what feeds your deeper being? And to try to live your life from that place. So very uh, instrumental in that is is facing your mortality, which of course mainstream culture in the West doesn't do, does the opposite, and uh, tries to deny it and and, uh, obscure it and take our attention to other things, and that meaningful life comes from being a good consumer and getting the right car and the right shaving lotion and the right clothes and the right this, that, and the other thing, none of which feed our soul. And so we have more material uh, gain and acquisition even in hard times now that we're going through, we have so much more than the majority of people in the world, but it, but we're hungry, and we have one of the highest rates of uh, substance uh, abuse and obesity and all these other things that we're trying to feed ourselves to get nourishment through the material world, but it's not working because it doesn't feed our soul. The only thing that's going to feed our soul is that which has meaning, has heart meaning and spirit meaning, uh, and is in line with our deepest values about what's most important. So I'm, I'm experiencing this in my own life and seeing it played out uh, both in indigenous cultures where these uh, things I'm talking about are recognized and, and built into the rites of passage, and I'm seeing the consequences and impact of that versus what takes place in my culture where we don't have these rites of passage that help people develop an empowered sense of living, the fragility and preciousness of life by, by facing uh, our mortality. And we have the opposite. We don't respect life, and we have increasing violence because of the lack of respect for life and its preciousness. I helped start the second hospice program in the United States in the mid-'70s to help people uh, create conscious relationship with our mortality. And then I worked for uh, 32 years with the Center for Attitudinal Healing. Uh, some listeners will know Jerry Jampolsky's work, uh, Love is Letting Go of Fear, popular book he wrote. So worked with Jerry for 32 years with children and families with life-threatening illness. Again, addressing these issues, how to face our, our death, literally in their case, and uh, connect with uh, a, spiritual, a spiritual awareness 
that can help one even through the the, uh, the trials and tribulations and sufferings of, of death and dying, and especially with children, even more tragic. But nevertheless, there is a, a uh, deeper level of our being uh, uh, and who and what we are that transcends our physical being. And to be able to contact that and access that can bring through a healing of the soul even through these difficult times. So, again, I'm experiencing all of this. I'm growing older. And uh, as I move into my 60s and I have some physical uh, challenges and I see that I can't do some of the things that I've done in my active life anymore in the same way, there's loss there. There's, there's grief there. And to the extent that we in the West are, are um, conditioned, socially conditioned, to divide, define our, our self-worth, uh, in terms of our doing mode, what we can do and what we can accomplish, when we're not able to do in the same ways that we were pre- previously, then our, our sense of uh, value can go down. We can feel, we can go into a depression. Well, I can't do what I used to be able to do. What do I have to contribute? I'm just, I'm just an old worthless person. And of course, all the advertising in our consumer culture focused on youth uh, contributes to, to older people feeling... Uh, uh, worthless and, and used up and what we don't have any purpose in being here. Now, what I experience in indigenous cultures with older people is just the opposite of this culture. We have our ageist attitudes. In the indigenous cultures, the elders are revered. They're recognized that they carry the wisdom tradition of our people, of the particular tribe. And they pass on through the creation stories and through the conducting the ceremonies the wisdom teachings of how to survive in the challenges of life and how to create a good life and what that's based on. That's what they do. And so they 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 have a socially integrative role in the community that makes them feel good about themselves, that contributes to the next generation, the teachings that they need to get to help them move forward into the challenges they're going to face. So there's a win-win in indigenous cultures between elders and the next generation, and it's socially integrative. It's, it's sanity. Whereas in our culture, we have just the opposite, the separation of elders segregated away. And with our ageist attitudes, we, we kind of put them in a the, in the junk pile. We kind of dump them away, get them out of sight. And so both generations lose. The elders lose the opportunity to be able to give of the wisdom of teachings of their lives. And the younger generation misses out on the, uh, on the benefit of that. It's a lose-lose. So I would experience in the indigenous cultures, the positive uh, utilization of elders, I would experience in our culture the price we paid for a social breakdown for for the ages of behaviors and attitudes and perspectives we have on aging. And and I would I would uh, experience inside of myself this 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 uh, this, this uh, cognitive dissonance uh, experience of this you know, as, as a pressure. I, I need to do something here. I need to to try to address this and shift these ageist attitudes and uh, on, on a cultural level, but also on an individual level to help people as they go into their aging, and there are very real challenges of aging, to recognize uh, and be able to work skillfully with the opportunities of, of aging so that the third stage of life, the third and final stage of life, the, the potential for it to be the richest and juiciest and most meaningful time of our lives can be realized. Whereas in our culture, because we have the negative views about aging, we don't we don't understand that. Now so, Tom, I have a yeah. question just to just to flesh this out a little bit more right yeah. here because I know I have 
I have a number of clients that are dealing with um, the trials and tribulations truly, I mean that sincerely, yeah. of, of aging parents. And, um, and I know that one of the issues they struggle with is, you know, their parents, largely because they are of this culture, haven't actually matured over their yeah. lifetime and, yeah. and still blame their own parents for what they didn't get, et cetera. And I'm wondering, you know, there's that piece I see when people are talking about or even romanticizing, not that you are, but the value of elders in these indigenous cultures they go visit, but then they look at their own parents and they, they, they aren't acting like elders. And so there's a, there's a huge seems that part of the transformation if the memory keepers are going to keep a memory is that they transform to be able to have a long view as well or something. Exactly. You're exactly right. The, the, um, I think the really one of the tragic losses uh, in, in regard to what you're speaking about is, is the people who feel that way, exactly what you just described, because our, our, our um, Getting older in years, chronological age, doesn't necessarily mean you're you're growing into a wisdom elder such as in in, in uh, indigenous culture. They have culture. Might just be getting grumpier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'm I can't stand up the way I used. To. I can't run. I can't you know this that the mm-hmm. other thing. All these and uh, it's because we identify our self worth with our with our doing mode, and when the doing mm-hmm. mode is, is weakened, we haven't grown. We haven't learned how to grow into um, getting a sense of, of of who we are and well-being and, and why we're here and our purpose from our from our being mode, the qualities of our being mm-hmm. mode. That's a that's a developmental task. In fact, uh, social scientists now are, are postulating a ninth stage of development beyond Eric Erickson's eight stages. Erickson goes up to the final stage, I think, of, of uh, ego. Uh, Integrity, where you you review your life and basically you you come to peace. The task, the challenge is come to peace with your life, whatever it's been. So what what uh, developmental uh, social scientists are seeing now, you know, there really is a ninth stage, and it's been called the uh, stage of of gero transcendence. And the potential is in there within all of us to to, and I'll explain what that is in a moment for gero transcendence. But it can either be nurtured or repressed. And our culture doesn't recognize it, does, and so it doesn't nurture it. Indigenous cultures recognize this potential to grow into a wisdom elder, but that it needs to be nurtured. It needs to be supported. So, what is gero transcendence? It's it's in the earlier stages of life, your first first cycle. You're you're coming to a, a sense of of who you are as an ego. As a, as a separate being, so to speak, and uh, in the middle ages, stages of life, you're, you're, you create a family, you find your work in the world, and you and you do that work. And and in the third stage of life, uh, from the sixties on, the third cycle of life, the developmental task is uh, the process of gero transcendence, a a movement of um, growth work that shifts your understanding of who you are from a self based on ego to a, a transcendent self, a, a, a larger self uh, of who you are in relationship to the larger perspective, the cosmos, to the world, to humanity, to evolution. So you're, you're, you're getting a sense of yourself that shifts from ego to uh, a, a transpersonal sense of who you are, so a, a, an energy being, you might say, or a soul or an essence 
that's connected to the larger cosmos. Now, when you uh, and, and the qualities that that are called for to grow into are, are, are qualities in the third stage of life of being, the qualities of wisdom, of compassion, of um, of uh, tenderness, of, of generosity, of utilize recognizing the the wisdom teachings of your lives, recognizing them, and and part of the work I do with uh, individuals in the uh, recognition rights. Uh, program is helping them go back over their life experiences, and you might say harvest the the wisdom teachings of their lives to help them see even ex- in experiences that they might have that their ego at the time might have judged as a failure or they did the wrong thing or it was trauma or was whatever. Within that, with with if we go back and look with a with a um, non judgmental eye, what are the teachings that came out of that? What, what's the what's the uh, the wisdom inherent in that situation that 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 you gain that you learn from that experience that helps you go on in your life? And so, so, are you supporting people in 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 reviewing everything? I mean, to really scan the whole life and harvest? Yeah, yeah. The first part of the recognition right process, which helps the individual grow into zero zero transcendence. The the uh, is is helping the per- is taking the person through a series of fourteen reflective questions that helps them review, go back. It, it's as if you know that you step into some shamanic uh, paradigm way. It's as if they put on their spiritual wings and they fly back into their past, but they look at their past from a detached view, like the eagle flying over, so they can be able to look at the different key events that, that significantly impacted them in their lives. Look at, look at those uh, like with the, the eye, the keen eye of the eagle, and look down into them and say, okay, what was the wisdom teaching of that? Or in my case, what was the wisdom teaching of um, my father's death at a young age? What, what, what's, the, what's the teachings in here? What did, what did I learn from the years of shadow possession where I, my shadow was just being acted out from my pain and grief. What, what's the wisdom teaching there? What's, what's the lessons to be learned in this? It's gathering those, those teachings or lessons up. So uh, by the end of the 14, uh, the process of, of, of harvesting the life wisdom teachings, in effect, a person has an understanding of what their medicine gifts are. What they, They've been able to, uh, by going back through their life, they've been able to pick up the medicine teachings of their lives. So at the end of the process, their medicine bag is filled up with the medicine teachings of their lives. That's the first part of the recognition right process. So that so helps Tom, them. Go so ahead, Tom, yeah. this this is this just so that people can kind of track with us. So this yeah. is sort of one of five of the main sections or keys of the process, right? Well, the five uh, the five. Um, developmental steps, you might say, or five keys that, that I've identified as part of conscious aging. Uh, this is one of the keys. Yeah, I'll just say the five of what they are and then go back into the process. Mm-hmm. It, it's one I've already referred to. It's, it's creating a, a uh, relationship to your mortality to empower your living. The second, mm-hmm. uh, as I was just running to speak about, it's, it's reclaiming Finding, discovering, owning, taking possession, you might say, of the wisdom teachings of your life. That's the second step. And then the third step is the third key, third challenge, is to uh, help the person get back in touch with. For some people, it's get back in touch with. For some people, it's for the first time to get in touch with 
their, their, their deepest sense of purpose or meaning in life, what has the most importance for them, to find their path of heart. That's the third stage. You might say that's like a vision quest. That's the whole what mm-hmm. a vision quest in Pilgrims is about, the recognition that you're not here by accident, that the creative powers of the universe, whatever you want to call it, not only gave you your life, but have sustained your life through all acts of protection, some of which you know about, some of which you don't know about, so that you've been able to reach these, these, these older years of 60, 70, 80, or whatever. And uh, you're not here by, by accident. Those creative intelligence that gave you your life and protected you have a reason in giving you the breath of life. And you have gifts. You came in here with gifts that, that needed to be developed, needed to be de- de- nurtured, so they can blossom to their fullest potential and then be shared with your people. They can be given back to your people in some way, finding your heart path, walking it to completion. So that's the third step, that vision quest to find or reconnect with your sense of deepest meaning and heart path. And then the fourth step is what when, when you have that vision and that awareness is how to access uh, and awaken your, your creativity and your courage so that you can begin to act in your life and your relationships from that place, from that deeper place. And remembering then, uh, and this is the movement into the Jero Transcendence, remembering who we really are and what we really are and why we're here. We're, we're here, we're not just an ego, and we're not here just to feed our egos. There's deeper meaning uh, and purpose to our being, and, and the essence of our being is not about our ego identifying ourselves, our ego, or our accomplishment. The deeper level of our being, what the teachings from shamanism, the 40-some-odd years of shamanic work, and the 40-some-odd years of working with <clears throat> excuse me, children and adults with life-threatening illness, bring me to the, to the same place. And it's actually, a, I put it together in terms of a song chant that identifies what <clears throat> Aldous Huxley calls like the perennial philosophy, it's the essence of the perennial philosophy. Then you peel away the, the layers of our ego and our persona and our um, physical body, and you think of it as an onion, you just keep peeling the layers away until you get down to the very bottom. Then you get to what even science tells us we are. We're electromagnetic energy wave fields vibrating in different levels. And basically what that is, we're luminous, luminous light. <clears throat> the center of our being is light, and even in Latin. There's an understanding of that, the solar plexus, the place of light at the center of our being. At the deepest level of our being, we're light. And the essence of that light is an energy we call love, is agape love. The essence of our being, we are love. And what's the purpose of the love? The love is forgiving. It's not for holding on. It's forgiving, giving to others in the web of uh, connectivity in which we're all embedded of this magnificent universe. <clears throat> so these are all qualities of being as, that the elder grows into. And so when they can no longer be physically active or as cognitively sharp in some ways as they were when they were younger and accomplish all the things they accomplished, we're, sco- we're, we're slowing down. We're dropping down in a deeper place of who and what we really are and connecting with our being, the value and worth of our true being, and then giving from that place to the next generation. And the wisdom teachings that have been gathered from our lives then are transmitted through us to the next generation. That's what happens in sane societies, and that's what the recognition rights work is trying to help people do uh, in this culture. 
Okay, so you got us to, you were kind of walking us through, we were at reclaiming and harvesting the wisdom yeah. of someone's life. So now they see their their life from a different perspective. Like you, like you said, they go from, I'm depressed and grumpy because I can't do what I used to do. Do I have any value at all anymore? To having this medicine bag, in a sense, filled with the this this revaluing of their life, and yeah. so now they have a a worth a a weight to yeah. themselves. So now so then go, what happens? Yeah. So then we go to the next challenge because uh, indigenous cultures, of course, have uh, for millennia in their social structure from the recognition of the value of elders built in vehicles by which the elders can share those gifts. Our culture doesn't have that. So the challenge is it's created. So the way I do that with folks is I, I ask them, after they've got that medicine bag full of uh, the medicine gifts, that they, they've taken ownership of, they've taken, uh, recognized that, they, that they're in them, who they are and their being. I say, okay, now give me a list of, of people from the communities of your life, family and friends and people you've worked with, uh, and I'm going to contact them and I'm going to invite them to a recognition right, R-I-T-E, for you. And um, I'm going to ask them in the invitation to uh, be prepared to share a story with you about how knowing you has impacted you, has impacted them in their lives. So they give me the list and I send that out. And then people come from, you know, an older person usually has friends and relatives going back to their life from different parts around the country. So they fly in, we find a place, a location, and at that place, it's the, the um, symbols and art and music and, and that which is meaningful to the, to the honoree is we create a, a setting, a sacred setting where all those, that which is meaningful uh, to the person is, is there in that setting. And the people show up. And so the first part of the uh, recognition rite is um, where the uh, the uh, I kind of welcome everyone and and uh, tell them a little bit about recognition rites, and then uh, the the person being honored gets an opportunity to do what most uh, elders don't get to do in our culture. It's a tragedy. They they most most elders, most older people go to their graves without ever once having had the opportunity to share something meaningful about their story, their time on this earth. They don't get a chance to do that. They don't get a chance to share it. They don't get a chance to have it heard and witnessed. So, um, as, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm sort of reflecting on my dad's retirement. He worked for the same company forever, for yeah. 45 years or something like that. And... And, I, and I'm reflecting on it is partly the nature of the kind of man that he was. But, you know, probably half the people did share that kind of story about how he had impacted their lives. In, yeah, that's in, great. And they were, it was very touching. It and, is. you know, the other half of the stories were roasts, you know, yeah. were were some sort of. Now, you know, it was funny and there was a, a, a lightheartedness to it. It wasn't mean-spirited, but it missed the point. You know, it was yeah. – and then the other piece that's missing to make this – although it was a huge change for my father, it wasn't – this event didn't become a real rite of passage right. because he didn't really get to say anything. Yeah, so that's that leads to the third uh, part of the recognition right event itself. 
The first part is where uh, the person does get to hear from others, and not just from their work life. When people retire, they get to hear some uh, impact of, of their lives on others in the work arena, but not other arenas of their lives. Mm-hmm. And how many times so they you... hear from friends and children, right, and exactly. just everybody. That's right. Their whole life. That's right. Yeah. From all the cycles of their life, and they um, and they get to hear about how they they've impacted those other 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 people. But the um, the third part then is. Uh, prior to this recognition right, after the person's identified their medicine gifts through the reflective questions, then there's the engaging of their creativity with uh, my my uh, kind of introducing them to an opportunity here now. When all those folks gather, you know, there's 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, 40, you know, however many people there are, when they gather there, basically what you've done is you've, you've called your tribe together. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be an opportunity for you to do some sharing with them of your medicine gifts. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge to the person's creativity to come up with a way to share those medicine gifts with the people there in, experientially. So it's not just talking about them, but taking the people through uh, uh, some kind of experience. So one, uh, one of the uh, people who... Um, uh, did this recognition right with. He, he loved to sing, but he'd been like a closet singer all his life. And, uh, he, you know, he was self-conscious and embarrassed about uh, singing in public, but he loved to do it. it, it singing was fed his soul. So as we looked at his uh, medicine gifts, and this was a person who had uh, worked in refugee camps around the world, and his, all of his adult life had been involved in really meaningful, heartfelt, soulful social, social service. Uh, but the, the part, and that fed his soul, but the part of his soul that wanted to sing and wanted to share songs that were heart songs, meaningful songs with others that, that touched people's spirits, that, that had been in the closet, that had been repressed, that had been, been denied. And so now he was looking at this gentleman had a life-threatening illness that, that he knew he didn't have that much longer to live. So there was a pressure on him of, uh, if, I don't, if I don't bring this forth now in some way, I'm going to go to my grave with this frustration, this despair, mm-hmm. this, this unmet uh, potential uh, in my life that just kind of went to waste. So um, through the reflective process, I came to learn about how much the singing meant to him. And so the, the, what, he, what came to him in engaging his creativity was, I can sing some of these songs for the people of my tribe when they come together. I can use the singing of these songs to deliver, because the songs he chose were in alignment with his medicine gifts. So for him, it became a, uh, the idea is that, he, that to sing before these, these people in public would serve as a rite of passage for him, taking him out of his comfort zone to do something that was uncomfortable, to call on the courage to step out there and bring forth something that was so meaningful inside of him, but that he was frightened to do. And therein, it becomes a rite of passage where he's, in effect, standing before the people of the tribe, taking, uh, announcing and sharing, letting them know what his medicine gifts are, and that he's sharing them with the people of his tribe. And so by doing, he's stepping over a threshold, a rite of passage into identifying and letting people see, and he owning 
that I'm stepping into my role as an elder, whose job well, it, it is to that, share these gifts with you, my people. It seems that this is a piece that makes it a meaningful ritual, is that, exactly. that there is the courage, that there, a threshold does have to be crossed. Exactly. And, and that... Um, that being really out of the comfort zone and 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 that willingness um without a guarantee what that's going to mean to do it anyway yeah yeah it really is the it, it it's the key component the other components were necessary to build up to this point of whatever it is that came through the person's creative uh inspiration about how to share their medicine gifts experientially with the people of their tribe it's that that becomes a rite of passage because they've stepped out of an old identity into being publicly recognized through, the, through what they're doing is I claim my eldership and I claim and share the wisdom teachings of my lives and the purpose of those, those teachings is to share with you. And so then they share them experientially with the people. And so what I notice when I, when at, at the end of a recognition rite and I'm talking to people and I hear them talking in, in the audience, the participants who've been invited, is they come away with um, a different view about older people and about aging itself, because they've kind of come, they've kind of came to the recognition right, not knowing fully what it was, that it was going to be a rite of passage, with the understanding, well, grandma or grandpa or Annie or uncle, you know, it's probably kind of a thing just before they die, and, and that's what it's going to be. <laughs> And, and and instead they come out with a totally changed 180 view of, wait a minute, they're just stepping into a whole new thing. They're full of juice. They're full of vitality. They're full of passion. They're full of power. This is a whole new, oh, my God, it's like a whole new person here. Well, and that's it, is they may be filled with a passion they've never actually felt before. They've, they, you know, their life may have been a lot of doing and duty and responsibility. And, exactly. And exactly. now there's that thing. That still burns. That they still have passion for. That may no like you like with this guy. No one even knew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they see that. Then they see that they have something to give to others that's meaningful and needed by the others, by the by the other generations. So the people in the audience receiving that, they not only have a changed, shifted, or shape shifted attitude about older people. They have a shape shifted attitude about their own aging process. Mm-hmm. And it opens up a whole new view of the value, the importance, and the significance of elders and elderhood and what it's about and how when it's respected and revered and utilized in the ways that we're talking about, everybody benefits. It's a win-win for everybody. And so at this stage, in some cultures, the elder would actually take a new name, that this would be a significant enough I mean, this is a significant transformation, but in some cultures that would be marked even by a new name that would speak to the new medicine. Yeah, in some cases in our culture, people take on a new name, and they share that at the yeah. at the rite of passage. That happens sometimes. Mm. Mm. It's like Wonderful. their spiritual. It's like their their spiritual um, uh, identity as an elder that has that has to do with their being, not their doing. Yeah. And also, just to mention, you know, what the really, because you mentioned earlier, the challenges of, of aging. And so when we identify ourselves in terms of our ego and, the, the, um, and who we are in terms of our physical body and its capabilities, when those start to go, then we're, we're at a loss if we've identified the totality of our being with our ego. As we begin to shift our identity from who we are as ego and our physical body 
to a deeper and larger sense of ourselves, a transpersonal sense of ourselves, the spiritual being uh, of energy, of soul, of essence, in relationship to the larger, uh, larger spirit, larger presence. Uh, and we're part of that, and that's part of us. That's who we really are. As the physical body and, and its capabilities become less, then we, we step more into the, our identity as a spiritual being, as, a, as, a, as a, the essence of our being, that luminous light at the center of our being in love. love. Love doesn't die when the physical bodies die. Tom, has there been anyone who's done this yet that hasn't been able to cross that bridge to that place, that no. luminous place? Yeah, no. All, all the people that I've worked with and am working with have got to the place uh, and it doesn't mean it's a fait accompli, because as long as sure. we're breathing, we're doing our work. So it's like right. <laughs> every every breath that comes in is, is asking the question, what do you want to use me for? Do you want to use me for uh, creating pain and suffering, or do you want to use me for, for deeper opening and blossoming of, of who yeah. and what you are and why you're here, your purpose in being? So um, everyone I've worked with um, has gotten a, an understanding and appreciation that they do have wisdom teachings. They do have value in their being mode as they shift from identifying their self-worth from doing mode to being mode. They do have qualities of being that are valuable, that are beautiful, that um, offer uh, guidance from years of experience to other people that can be helpful to other people. So, Tom, how do people find you? How, how how, yeah, How do people find you to do this with you? Well, it's um, radio shows, you know, such as you're doing, which I thank you for, is one, one vehicle. Um, through my website, uh, I speak at uh, conferences. I've had articles published in uh, um, different uh, journals and newsletters of, of aging uh, societies. But I think, that, and, I, and I do need to, and I'm in process of writing a, a, a kind of a manual Mm-hmm. Uh, put together uh, for for people who want to take this kind of process themselves and use it with their loved ones or their friends. So my website so, is the best way to get a hold of me. So someone could download this podcast onto their elder person's iPod and say, "Listen to this, and if you want to do this, I'll help you connect with this program." Yeah, and they can get the person online, and and so you you're really open now to anyone who is interested in. In doing it, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a necessity because of a number of things. Uh, one, I think the ideas here and the program, because of, of how it's working so well with people, uh, the more people that can step into it, the more it can be a cultural force for change from our ageist attitudes to, to ones that recognize these elder years can be uh, the most successful and richest of our lives. So the more people who are interested, the more... Uh, it can get out into the larger mainstream culture and, and affect change in a positive direction. And within the even broader context of the primary challenges that we're being faced with, social, environmental, uh, we need eco-elders. We need wisdom eco-elders who know what's most important in life to be able to model and teach and support the young people coming up in, in coming into an alignment with what's most important in life, how to be in respectful relationship with with the natural forces and uh, of of creation so that life uh, can be sustained a healthy life can be sustained and go forward instead of the destructiveness that we see going on around so much now we need eco elders wisdom elders to help this process happen 
So let's talk just a little bit about that. We don't have all that much more time, um, unfortunately. But what do you see as the as really the long term benefit? Let's imagine that we can begin to create meaning this this kind of meaningful right of recognition and go from this sort of broken place in our culture to repair and beginning to create true true elders who can who can haven't just aged into the role but they can actually do what you've just described yeah what's your sense of i mean what what do we as a culture get get from that well there's there's um billions of dollars spent by very uh, hiring very bright people to come up with creative uh, ideas to uh, affect our subconscious minds into believing and living lifestyles based on consumerism, and mm-hmm. that material reward will is, is the is the is the highest goal in life to get ahead and to be able to get more and more income and keep the economy growing and. Uh, and basically, it's 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 like a, a, a metastasizing cancer because it's it's uh, destroying the world. We're the only animal that that poops in our own nest. Right. And, it's a it's an unsustainable path. Of yeah. Life. And yeah. so the environmental uh, climate change is it's a feedback from the from the from the field, so to speak, saying, "Hey, you know, wake up." My my weechel shamans told me thirty years ago that the sun's coming closer to the earth. Uh, because the the people in the north have forgotten how to live, they've forgotten how to live in right relationship with with the powers of nature. They call it the spirit powers of the earth, of the sky, of the rain, of the animals, of the plants, of the trees. And so there's imbalances. There's, there's disharmony. We've forgotten how to live in harmony with it. And 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 it's all a wake up. The environmental challenges uh, are are kind of a wake up call to get our attention to say, hey, look, some of the ways you've been living your life are way off base. Way off base. And it's and it's gotten to the place where it's it's threatening life on the planet. So the more uh, any kind of rites of passage through all the different stages of transition in the life cycle, the more people that can be involved with the process of of waking up, of coming into a, a conscious awareness of our need to um, redress the destructive paradigm of, that we've based our lives on and create, use our creative energies to, to uh, develop ways of, of meeting our human needs and around the planet. Humans all have the same needs. How can, we, how can we meet our needs in ways that sustain a healthy quality of life for everyone, for all of creation? Because the only real win is a win-win. If it's a win-lose, some guys win and some guys lose it's going to be a lose-lose eventually. The only win is when the whole circle of life is recognizes how we're all related, how we're all, there's a wonderful term in the physicist's use of, of, um, of um, quantum entanglement, the subatomic physicist, uh, quantum entanglement, how we're all entangled in an invisible web of connectivity. And what we give to another, to the earth, or the ocean, or the sky it's, it's going to come back into our grandchildren or the food we eat, in our, our own bodies. It's all connected. And so the, the more we can have um, wisdom elders, elders who have gone through their life and gone through the experiences of their life to, to see what, what truly is most important in life, what truly is most important in life, what really sustains life and a healthy quality of life, what is that that they have 
uh, years of experience, uh, good and bad, that they've learned from. And so they're able to, to, to be a, uh, a, a channel, you might say, of, of information about, yeah, there's this and there's that, but, but ultimately we need to look at what's most important about a quality of life, what's most meaningful, what's, what, what has the most meaning for you, what feeds you, what makes you feel good, and what's responsible to the entire field. So elders help us to, to, uh, to see that, and they help us to learn how to work with the challenges of, of, of life in, in a way that does sustain life and supports life in a healthy way. I'm just um, thinking about the fact that my grandparents were all um, gone, by the, dead, by the time I was in college. Yeah. And and you know thinking about what it would be like as I face different um turns along the way um in my life to have had elders, you know, relations that were elders that I could have gone to that were eldered. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's yeah. you've Wisdom been describing elders. that I could yeah. could go with my trials and tribulations of a 20 something year old and a 30 something year old and and I have been reminded at that time to keep in mind what matters. Yeah the uh, gains that are available for us when we do, as Christina was just mentioning, able to go to a, a, a grandmother, a wisdom grandmother, a, gra- a wisdom grandfather who's not going to hold us in judgment, and we don't have to be frightened of, who's going to listen to us and not put pressure on us to be or do or say something that doesn't, it is in alignment with our integrity, but it's going to really listen to us and then kind of nurture us, help us uh, nurture us in, in, in going deeper inside of ourselves to listen to and connect with our own deeper being, our own deeper essence, and what has what has meaning in our hearts and what has meaning in our spirits. That that uh, I think that's a vital thing that young people need, rather than being as I was as a teenager, you know, to try to push into a box to conform with a society and values that are destroying the earth. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom. Thank you so much for being an exquisitely wise and gracious and generous elder with us today. Well, thank you, Christina. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you for sharing this program. And I strongly encourage people, even people who wish that for their elders, their parents or their grandparents, and think they might not be interested, I think that we would be surprised how many people at this third stage of their life might not want some guidance to reflect and to, I don't know, I think we'll be really surprised um, at how, how open people actually are to being guided in this way to become these wisdom keepers. I don't know. Uh, but thank you, Tom. And for those of you who uh, missed it, it uh, Tom's website is Dr. Dr. Tom, T-O-M, Pinkson, P-I-N-K-S-O-N dot com. And um, I want to give thanks to you, Tom, for joining us and for bringing this gift out at this time that we might all benefit from it. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, Christina. Thanks for having me. And I give thanks to your ancestors for dreaming you up. Yes, <laughs> yes, thanks. thank you. And yours. <laughs> thanks. Yes, and thanks to the Red Hawk that... That blessed you this morning. Thanks to the ancestors for circling around us here today. Thanks for the exquisite, beautiful wisdom of our earth. And thanks for the sky above. And thanks for the heart energy that unites us all. May we all take today's show and go forward in a good way. Thank you all.